Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. So we're going to continue in our series. Last week we talked about, kind of focused in on what we were saved from. And when we looked at the passages and teachings of of really how many times that Jesus spoke about hell in uh, his last week and, and different uh, passages that were there and, and talked about the fact that hell isn't just this big party that everybody's going to go to. It, and uh, it, it's something that is eternal. It's something that's torment. And it, it, it's something that, uh, that not only do we not want to go there, but if we truly understood uh, the extent of what hell is, it, it's something that we should not want anyone else uh, to go and to experience. And, and, you know, there's this question in, in the world today, you know, that people ask all the time. And it's kind of a reflective question of, of why on earth am I here on earth? And I believe when you look at the teachings of Jesus, especially in his last week, we can see a big purpose of why God uh, doesn't just, like, when we surrender our life to him, he doesn't just take us to heaven that minute. You know, because if, if heaven was the ultimate goal of salvation, then that would kind of be the way, okay? You, you, you uh, give your life to God, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you, to where you can go to heaven, and then God would just take you if that, was, if that was the purpose. But he doesn't. He leaves us here on earth, and I think he spent a lot of his last days on earth trying to teach his disciples and make sure that they understood, but not only them, but the crowds around them understood what was near and dear to his heart. And it, it's, it's the people that are, are, are lost we, and, and, and doing a work in the kingdom of God. Now, when we get into this, I, I know the first thing that people are going to be like, well, pastor, we're not, we're not saved by our works. We're, it's a gift of God. And you are 100% correct. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says that we're, not sa- uh, uh, that we're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But the very next verse, Paul said, but you were created for good works that you should walk in them. And, you know, as a church, uh, we have a reading plan that we've been on in version. And so if you started at the beginning of the year and you are kind of up to date in that reading plan, you should have been reading through Ephesians and, and Galatians and uh, Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and stuff. And it's amazing how many times Paul tells the church, walk in a manner that is worthy of the high calling of Jesus. Walk in a manner like do the things, do the work of the ministry. And, and, and he talks about that through it. And, and even Jesus in his last days, we're going to look at this several parables that we've already talked about. I'm not going to go through and read all of them again. I'm just going to refer back to them. And then even some newer things that we're going to look at all show the importance of, of after salvation that there's more. That, that we're not just saved from something, we are saved for something. And so one of those is uh, the parable of the minus. We, we uh, talked about that at the very beginning, about how this landowner had been given uh, responsibility, uh, had given out minus to these people. And then he came back to examine what they had done with what he what, uh, he'd given. And, and they were either rewarded or, or uh, punished based on, on what they did. Another one was the parable of the two sons. Uh, the parable of the two sons was the son that, that uh, one of them, the father, Father came to the two sons and says, I want you to go work in the field. And one of the sons says, I'm not going, but later made the decision to go. And then the other son said, I'm going to go, but didn't go. And, and Jesus asked the question, which of these do you think did the will of the Father? And it was the one that even though he said the wrong thing, his actions did the right thing. And I think there's a lot of people who say the right things, but when you look at the life, the life doesn't show the right things. And, and so he's, he's even talking about really, it's a little parable that Jesus is saying, your actions are speaking a whole lot louder than your words. 
That what you do and how you live is more important. Another parable is the parable of the tenants. This is where, uh, you know, he entrusted land to them, sent the, the people in uh, to receive back their harvest. And, and uh, when it was harvest time and, and the people refused to, to give it to him because they didn't want him to be lord over the harvest and all of this. And, and if you missed any of these, go back and, and read through this series or, or just go and, and read in your scripture, look up those those passages, you'll see it. Another one was the parable of the wedding feast. And the parable of the wedding feast was he told the, the, the master of the table told the people to go out and invite all the people to come in. And it, when he did, he said, there's people, they're, they're distracted, they're busy, they've got all these excuses. And he said, I don't care. Go and just keep inviting people because I want this banquet to be full. Every one of these is showing that the master gave instructions, gave uh, a gifting, gave something for people to give something back in return. That what he gave, he expected a return on investment. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus talked about the last days. Jesus even talked about uh, the separation of the, the sheep and the goats. We looked at this last week, that, that there would be people that he separates on the right and on the left. And, and, and it says that the people that were separated on the right, he said, I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you visited me. And they were like, when did we do this? When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. And then he looks at the people on the left, and, and, and the people who did the things entered in, and the people on the left, he says, I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothes. I was thirsty, you didn't give me any drink. I was hungry, and you didn't give me any food. I was in prison, and, and you didn't visit me. I, I was sick, and you didn't visit, didn't visit me. And he said, well, when did, we, when did we not visit you? When you didn't do these. Now, it's not saying that we're saved by our works, but listen, our works should be an indicator of our salvation. That's what James says. Go read it in James chapter 2, and you're like, why are none of these passages on the, the screen? Take notes. You got a phone. Write them down. Go read them. I challenge you, don't just take what I say for things. Go, I'll give you the references so you can go look them up for yourselves. Go look it up. James chapter 2, he talks about, or uh, actually I think it's James 1, he, he talks uh, about that, that uh, faith without works is dead. That, that you say that you have faith, but, but you don't have any works. But I will show you my faith by what? Not my words, by my works. It is showing that when we are truly saved, that it should change the way that we live. It should produce some fruit. There should be a something that is different inside of us. And he, he talks about in, in Matthew 24 that in the last days there's going to be two people that are in a field and one will be taken the other one will be left. Two women that are grinding in a mill, one will be taken and the other one will be left. What is he? He's trying to engage a sense of urgency. That people don't know the day or the hour. He even said, I, Jesus even said, I don't know the day or the hour. The angels don't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows the day or the hour of when he is going to come back. And so there's this, this thing of being prepared and being ready and, and being alert. Not just for yourself, but what are we doing to, to help other people escape the, the hell that we talked about last week? And the torment and the things that, that we talked about last week. And then Jesus continues on. And this is a new chapter for us. But this is a, the same thought process of Jesus as he's teaching through Matthew 24. And we're going to pick it up. Matthew 25, verse 1. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There were ten virgins who took their lamps. And they went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And so all of these, I want you to notice some of the, the points in here. One, they're all virgins. Okay, the Virginity means that they have not been corrupted. They, they are moral people. They have not been corrupted with sexual immorality or any of those things like that. It's showing that they tried to live a pure life. Okay. I mean, it says five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The, the, uh, the foolish ones took their lamp, but they took no oil with them. The wise one took flasks of oil with their lamps, and the bridegroom was delayed, and they became drowsy, and they, they slept. But at midnight there was a cry that, here is the bridegroom. Come out uh, and meet him. And those virgins, they all rose, and they trimmed their lamps. But the foolish one said to the wise, give me some of your oil, 
for our lamps have gone out. But the wise said, since there is not enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were gone to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in to be with him in the marriage feast. And the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord. I want you to notice they're, they're, they're recognizing his authority and, and, and things there. Lord, Lord, open up to us. Now, when I see that phrase, Lord, Lord, and they're kept out, it reminds me of a passage of Scripture that we talked about before in Matthew chapter 7. That It says that many will say in that last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not uh, heal the sick in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, why do I bring that passage in? Because it's showing that you can do the right things and still not know him. There's two sides to this coin, guys. It's not if you do all the right things, then that means you're saved. But on the other side of it, if you are genuinely saved, there should be a desire and a heart for what the Father cares about, and you, it should result in doing the right things. Do you understand me? And so many times we're one side of the coin or other. We got people in the church who, who serve, 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 but they don't know him. And because they don't know him, it wears them out and they're weak and uh, it, it's just, it's work and I can't believe I have to do this. And, and then you got other people who say that they know him, but they don't do anything. But Jesus is saying in these passages that if we understand the relationship that we have with the master, then, then there is going to be an expectation that with the giftings and things that he gave us, that we put it into practice and we do something with it. They cried out, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered them, truly, I say to you, I did not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know not the, the, the day nor the hour. Now, another thing that you see in this, in this passage was the, the differentiation was that some had oil and some didn't. It wasn't their virginity. It wasn't their morality that was in question. It, it, the, the thing was that some had oil and some didn't. Now, in, in the scripture, a lot of times the, the oil was representative of the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in John chapter 3, and I'm going to give you a lot in a short period of time here, so you write down these references so that you can read them. John chapter 3, a Pharisee who had a moral life and a love for God and knew more of the Scripture than probably anybody in this room, comes to Jesus and said, uh, how am I supposed to be saved? You know, what, what do I have to do? Okay? And Jesus tells him that you must be not only be born, he said, you got to be born again. He's like, how am I supposed to be born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? And he said, no, you, you not only have to be born of water, but you have to be born of the Spirit. Now, when you think about being born of the water, that phrase doesn't mean the washing of the water of the word and, and all of that stuff. It literally means that when a, a woman goes into labor, her water breaks and they're born of water. Okay? But it says they also got to be born of the Spirit. Now, the way that we're born of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit convicts us. And when, when, when we're uh, uh, in, in a service or, or we're in a position or we're reading the Bible or something, and we start feeling the Holy Spirit begin to convict and move in our heart and, and stuff, and we respond to him, then his Spirit brings our spirit to life. All of us are body, soul, spirit. There's a part of us, and our spirit, we're born spiritually dead. You go back to, to Adam. Uh, when, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, it said, if you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Did they die when they ate the fruit? They didn't die physically. In fact, they lived for hundreds of years later. But they did die spiritually, and it cut off communion in between them and God. Does that make sense? When the spirit of God touches our spirit, it brings our spirit to life. And so you have five, you have ten people who all have morality, but five of them have the oil as well, which is representative of the Holy Spirit, and it keeps their flame going. Does that make sense? And so here you see that, that, that the five who had that were able to enter in. The five who didn't have that, he says, depart from me, I, I, I don't know you. 
Jesus goes straight from this to teach another parable. Now, and when Jesus is doing this, it's not like Jesus is sitting around. You know, sometimes you'll sit around with an older person and, and they just kind of shotgun telling stories. You know, I remember this and I remember this. And there's no connecting points. Jesus wasn't that way. Everything that Jesus taught, he's tying them all together with purpose. And so he goes straight from the Lord is coming back and nobody knows the hour to, yeah, in verse 14. It's kind of like this. There was a man who was going away on a journey. And he called to his servants and he entrusted them with his property. And to one he gave five talents. To another he gave two talents. And to another he gave one. And some of you are like, yeah, this sounds a whole lot like the parable of the miners. It does, but it's different. In the parable of the miners, everybody got the same thing. It was all equal. Here in the parable of the talents, there were different levels that were given. And I think there's reasons, and we're going to talk through this as, as we get into it. He went away. The one who received five talents went and he traded with them, and he made five more talents. So he did something with what he had. The one who had two talents, he, he made two more talents. But the one who had one went and dug a hole in the ground, and he hid the master's money. Whose money is it? The master's money. This is about stewardship. Everything we are given, it's not ours. Our time, our talent, our treasure is all the masters that he gave, and he's coming back to inspect what we did with what he gave us. Okay? Not long after this time, uh, the master came back to settle the accounts. And he who received five talents came forward, and he brought five talents, and he said, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and here I've made you five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, when he's talking about that enter into the joy of the master, it's very similar to what Jesus talked about in John 14 that we looked at last week. The only part that he really taught on heaven in his last days was, in my father's house there are many rooms, there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And when I go prepare a place, I will come back, I will receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. This is referring to what Jesus is saying. The master has been away on a journey, but he's been preparing things for them. And because they were faithful with the, the talents, he says, enter in to the joy of the master. Enter in and see the goodness of the master. And he goes on. It says that one came forward and he had two talents. He said, master, I delivered unto you two talents and, and I have made two more and the master looked at him and said, why didn't you make five like the other person? You worthless idiot. Is that what that says? No. But how many of us live our lives like that? We look at other people that we see that are more gifted, more talented, more abilities, and we're like, we're going to let them do the work because I'm not as good as them anyway, and I'm not going to be able to benefit as much as them, and I'm not going to be able to bring as much as them. And so I don't want to, 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 to let God down, and I don't want to get God angry at me because I didn't do as well as other people. But the master did not rebuke him for not bringing back as much. In fact, they said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've entered in, uh, you've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He said word for word the exact same thing. He got the same reward. To be able to enter into the joy of, of the master. He wasn't rebuked. He, it wasn't a comparison or anything. But the enemy will have you compare yourself to others and be like, well, I don't sing as good as them. I don't, I don't teach as good as them. I don't, I don't write as good as them. I don't speak as well as them. I, I, I don't understand things as well as them as an excuse to do nothing. But you're not going to be judged on what, somebody, what God gifted somebody else with. You're only going to be judged on what he gifted you with. It's not about, well, I don't have the money to be able to give like that person has to be able to give. And, and I don't have, like, none of that matters. It's what do you do with what you have? And God's not going to hold you responsible for anything that you don't have. But he will hold you responsible with inactivity, which is what the next one said. He said, and the one who received one talent came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. 
You reap where you don't sow and you gather where you don't scatter seed. And so I was afraid. So I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Now, I want you to notice something. Neither one of the first two guys identify the master as a hard man. Neither one of them thought that it was wrong for him to come back and, and, and hold them responsible for what they did. They, 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 they saw the master like, I want to be faithful with what the master has. And, and see, here's the thing. There's so many people that are in the church world today who just see God as this angry God who's ready to destroy them. And because they see God as an angry God who's ready to destroy them, they do nothing with what they have because they're afraid if they do the wrong thing with what God's given them, then they're going to be destroyed. And so it's better to do nothing than to risk rejection from God or, or punishment from God for doing the wrong thing. So they hide it, much like this person did. But it says, but the master answered him and said, you wicked and you slothful servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and that I gather where I haven't scattered seed, then you should have at least invested my money with the banker so that when I came back, I would have my own money with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For the one who uh, has, more will be given to him, and, and he will have it in abundance. But from the one who has not, what he has will even be taken from him, taken away from him. The only thing that he rebukes this guy for is, I gave you something, and you did nothing with what I gave you. You should have at least taken it to the bank. At least played it safe and taken it to the bank to where there would be some interest that you get with it. But don't sit around and do nothing. And he looks at him and, and it, it doesn't matter. He, he, he still honored him as master. He still said, here is what is yours. He returned what the master gave him. He didn't try to take it as if it was his own and spend it on himself or any of that. He offered back to the master what the master gave him. And the master rebukes him. And then he says, and cast him into the outer darkness, into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. We talked about those phrases in depth last week. The, the, the torment and the, the anguish and things of, of this punishment. See, we're going to be held responsible for what we've given. And some people may be like, well, I haven't been given anything. Wrong. Every person was given something. You may not have been given as much as somebody else, but every person was given something. And you know what? The one thing, uh, one, one natural thing, practical thing that every one of us has been given? Time. Y'all have 24 hours in your day? Seven days in your week, 365 and a quarter days in your year. All of y'all, this is yes, this is no. What are you doing with your time? You know what the other thing that we've all been given? God's own son. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only son. What are you doing with the ultimate gift of love and sacrifice that God gave you? And, I, and what I'm going to say right now may seem like condemning and it may seem harsh or it may seem critical or whatever. I'm just trying to get you to think, okay? So don't get mad at me for making you think. I know some of the kids are like, school starts tomorrow. My brain's been shut off. For, I'm, I'm going to warm up your brain a little bit to just make you think about a question here. How many of you have ever led someone to the Lord? And I don't want you to raise hands and all that stuff like that. But you've been given the love of Jesus, the story of the gospel. And have you just held on to it for what you can get out of it? Or have you given it to someone else? And again, not condemning, just awareness. What are we doing with the love and the mercy and the grace and the, the, the gospel that, that God has given us? Are, are we holding on to it and hiding it because we're ashamed of it? 
Are we holding on to it and hiding it because it might be offensive? Listen, I'm going to tell you, like most of these red letter words that I'm reading offend people. But you know who spoke them? Jesus. The gospel isn't soft and palatable and easy for everybody. The gospel comes against everything in ourselves because it tells us to deny ourselves. It's, it's going to offend our mindset. Because the minute that we're born, you know what you're born? You're not born a little sweet angel and stuff. You're born a selfish person. And all the mamas are shaking their head yes. Because that baby doesn't care if you're getting enough sleep at night. That baby cares that I'm hungry, I want food. That baby doesn't care if it's giving That baby, I'm wet, I need changed. Come on, y'all selfish people. We're all born just thinking about ourselves. It's, it's, it's humanity. But Jesus didn't think about himself. Jesus put our needs ahead of his own. In fact, if you go read in Philippians 2, it says that the mindset that Jesus had, we need to have as well. That, that he didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to have to do. But instead, he took on the form of a bondservant, and he laid down his life uh, on the cross even, cross, even a death on the cross. And in that passage, Paul says, have this same mindset that Jesus had. Jesus didn't have a, have a selfish mindset. Jesus had a mindset of generosity. That my life, I freely give. Even when Pilate said, don't you know I can take your life? He said, you can't take my life. I willingly lay down my life. You don't even have any authority except for what the Father gave you. He willingly laid down his life. What are you doing with the gospel and what he's given you? Jesus, in his last words, when he's talking with his disciples, he gave them specific instructions about what to do with the gospel. In Mark chapter 16 is one of the places where that, that is listed in verse 15. It says, go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel. And he's not talking to the disciples. He's talking to the crowds of people who are seeing him ascended into heaven. In 1 Corinthians, I believe it says there were 500 people that were there. If this was only for the disciples, then we would be reading it in John 13, 14, 15, 16, or 17 because that was when Jesus was with his disciples at the Last Supper. So if this is only about them and to them, he, he's going to address it to them. But he addressed it to the whole, the whole crowd, go into the whole world, preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel in, in the whole creation. Whoever believes will be baptized and, and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now I think this is a very important thing that I want to get into real quick here. What is belief? Okay? Belief isn't just something that you think in your head. Do another quick poll here. How many of you either currently or once believed in Santa Claus? Some of y'all are afraid to raise your hand. Be like, this is church. Jesus is the reason for the season. No, no, no it, it's okay. I'm not, there's no condemnation. It's not a trick question. Come on, hold your hand up. You used to believe in Santa Claus, or maybe you still currently do believe in Santa Claus. Okay? How many of you still believe in Santa Claus? There's less hands. Well, what happened in that? At some point, somebody told you, oh, he's not real, or somebody told you, it's your parents eating the milk and cookies, or, or, or you stayed up at night, set up a video camera, and you saw your parents coming in and putting the gifts under the tree. Whatever it is, like, there, there's some reason why you no longer believe. Your, your thought process was now changed. There are a lot of us who live a lifestyle differently than what we say we believe. How many of you believe that exercise is beneficial? But how many of you exercise every single day? There's a whole lot less hands. How many of you believe that you should eat healthy foods? I set you up on this. How many of you overate on unhealthy foods at Thanksgiving? You see what I'm saying? 
Like there, there, there are things like you say you believe in exercise, but if you are not exercising, then you truly don't believe in the benefits of exercise. You can say that if I eat a healthy diet, then it's beneficial for me. But if you're not eating a healthy diet and you're just eating a bunch of donuts and fried foods and stuff, you truly do not believe that those things are harmful for your body or you wouldn't take them in. And there's so many people who think that when it says believe, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him will not perish. That when it says here that whoever believes and is baptized, then, then they, they, they will be saved. That, that belief is simply a head belief, but it's not a head belief. What you truly believe will cause actions in what you do. If we truly believe that God saved us and delivered us from hell, if, that if we truly believe that God loved us so much that he gave his only son for us and, and all that, then it's going to cause some action and generate some movement on our behalf. We're not going to see the master's heart because he asks us to do something. We're going to realize that he gave it to us anyway. It's his. Everything that I had is from him and for him. And so I'm going to offer it to him. And he has every right to do it because he's the master. And because anything that he asks me for, he's already given something far more for that. So when it says believe, I'm not talking about you believe. Because what we've done is limit salvation to head belief. If you believe, even in that scripture where it says, if you believe, it says, if you believe in your heart. What you believe in your heart causes you to, to make adjustments in your living and in your life. And there's so many people who, with their mouth, they say the right thing and they believe. Jesus died on the cross for me. You're right. I even prayed a prayer after somebody. I, I said what they said, and I said, I believe, and that he died, and, and come into my heart, and all that. But I just have this one question. When do you ever see Jesus preach a message saying, I'm getting ready to die, and I need you to go tell people to believe in me and pray a prayer after you so that they can be saved? You're not going to find it. Because it's not there. He even goes on in this and he says, and these signs and wonders will uh, accompany those people who believe. They will cast out demons in your name. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will, uh, if they drink a deadly poison, it won't harm them. If they, and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He says that the very sign of salvation is you're going to see some fruits. These people are not living their lives for themselves. These people are doing the work of the ministry. They're seeing sick people and they're praying for them. They're seeing people that are possessed and people that are struggling and people that are, 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 are battling with things. And, and they're not leaving them there. They're telling them the truth and they're ministering to them until they find freedom and healing and deliverance. The very sign of salvation initiated action. Matthew 28. Can you hand me my Bible real quick? Matthew 28 verse 18. Aaron, you can come on up. I'll try to go through this real quick, but I'm not making any promises. Matthew 28, he says this, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and, uh, and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, make disciples. Okay? Jesus is kind of amplifying this thing a little bit. He's, he's not saying make converts. He's not saying teach people to pray a prayer. He's not saying just preach the gospel. He's saying I want you to make a disciple. And we're going to look at what this, this means. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all of the things that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of age. And so he, he says, listen, not only do you preach the gospel, but I want to teach, I want you to take the things that I taught you, and I want you to teach them. See, we, we, we've not only watered down salvation to a pray after me prayer, we water down what discipleship is to a class that you go and attend. If somebody teaches me a little bit of Bible, that means I'm a disciple. Then why 
Go, go read in Matthew 4 and, and place, when, when Jesus calls his disciples. Did he say, hey, I want to invite you to this class that I'm getting ready to teach. I, 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 I want you to come to this Bible study, this small group that's going on at my house. I'm going to make you my disciple. No. He looks at him and he says, come and follow me. And you know what they had to do? Peter, James, and John were fishermen, and they were going to inherit their father's business, and they were going to be wealthy, and they were going to be taken care of. You know what they had to do? Leave their nets. Leave their security. Leave their old lifestyle as fishermen. And wherever Jesus goes, I go. Whatever he says, I obey. They gave up their life. This is the teachings that Jesus taught his disciples. Was the thing, salvation is not about you and what you get out of salvation. Jesus never taught, I'm saving you so you can go to heaven. So stop thinking that salvation is about you going to heaven one day. Jesus did not tell people, if you come and follow me, Man, you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be rich, and you're going to be prosperous in anything you want. You name it, you claim it, you blab it, you grab it, and it's all going to be yours. Life's going to be comfortable. It's all rainbows and puppy dogs. Once you pray this prayer after me, you're never going to find Jesus say anything like that. And you're never going to find Jesus' disciples going and telling anybody anything like that. Why? Because they're teaching the things that Jesus told them. Taught them they're following this instruction. How many people are in our church world today thinking that salvation is all about them and how God wants to bless them and how God wants to take them to heaven with him one day? And Jesus never preached that. But we sure do. And we like pastors who do preach that. And we get mad at the pastors who don't preach that. They're harsh. They're hard. They're narcissists. Just building their own kingdom. But can, I, can I read you some other red letter words? And this isn't in the last week of Jesus' life, so it's, it's not his final words. And, and it's not going on your screen, so if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 9. And I'm aware my timer is up, and I'm in the red right now. But it's okay. Luke chapter 9. Oh, I just found another little path. I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to give y'all a little nugget that I didn't give the first service. Aren't y'all glad y'all came to 11? Start at the very beginning. Jesus called his 12 disciples and he gave them power over demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. But Jesus wants me to be blessed. Wants me to have the latest clothes, the newest Jordans. Even though they're the old Jordans. The truth will set you free. I'm trying to get you some deliverance today. Take no staff, take no bag, take no bread, take no money. Don't take two tunics. You mean I got to wear the same outfit two days in a row? Whatever house, stay there. Whatever house you enter, stay there and, and from there depart. They don't receive you. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them and go on. Like that doesn't sound like he's telling them, hey, when you're my disciple, you're going to be rich, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to have everything that you want. It's not what he said. Goes on down. Pick up at verse 23. And he said to them all. Now, all of these are the crowds that are all around him. He's not not just saying it to his disciples. And he even justifies it in 
his statement. He says, if anyone, say that with me, if anyone, turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Turn to the neighbor you chose to ignore and say, this definitely needs you. You need to listen up. It means you. If anyone would come after me. So if anyone is going to do what the disciples did and follow me. Anyone's going to call themselves a follower of Christ. See, that's the thing. You can't even, the word Christian's been so watered down today because it has no meaning. It's supposed to mean Christ-like or follower of Christ. But the way that most Christians live their life is, come on, Jesus, follow me. I'm going over here. I need you to do what I tell you. Come on, Jesus, I need you to bless me. Come on, Jesus, I need you to, why, why aren't you moving yet? Why aren't you doing what I asked you to do yet, Jesus? Fine, if you're not going to do what I say, then I'm not going to church. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'll show you to not give me what I want. If God never answered another one of your prayers the rest of your life, he already gave you more than you deserve when he laid down his son. He's given us all more than we deserve. He says, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, I already talked about how when we were babies, we were selfish. But what happens when we're adults and we're still selfish? I mean, back in the day, I told the first service this, and I guess they thought I was like an elderly person. All the people under 30 are going to be like, he's just an old man. But all the people over 30 are going to be like, I remember that. Back in the day when we had cameras, like, you would turn the camera pointing toward other people or the scenery that you wanted to remember, and you were behind the camera and not in the picture. <gasps> Some of y'all's Cell phones, the minute it comes on, it's like, think, and you turn it right back around on you. Why? Because we live in a world that not only were we selfish when we were babies, but we're more self-absorbed than we've ever been before in our lives. Just be honest. Somebody, somebody takes a picture. If we don't like the way we look in that picture, that can't go online. I'm just letting y'all know. In a couple weeks, y'all are going to get a Christmas card from the Hollies. And I have no clue what I look like on any of those pictures because it didn't matter what Brandon looks like on the picture. Every picture, I mean, God bless Elise and Lily. They probably took 45,000 pictures for this five-picture card. And every picture is gone through with great scrutiny and, and detail by, by all the females in my house to say, is this one, is this one good enough? For everyone in the church, why? Because we're still selfish people. When I said deny yourself, some of y'all just got mad at me because I said deny yourself. But I, I don't know if y'all can see this, but these words are in red. Do y'all know what that means? I didn't say them. I'm just reading Jesus' message. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And I'm not talking about, oh, we, we need to buy a cross necklace. I need, I need a cross on the back of my car, a Jesus fish with a cross. I need a cross T-shirt, you know, all that stuff. No, he, he's not talking about the emblem of a cross that looks pretty around your neck or on your shirt or on your car or anything like that. He's talking about a weapon of death, an instrument of death. That if you are going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your weapon of choice, or your weapon of my choice, which is a cross, and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake shall be saved. For what does it profit if a person gains this entire world, but loses his own soul or loses himself? He, he's not only, and I'm not trying to preach that God doesn't want you to have blessings in your life. I'm not trying to do that anyway, either. That's another extreme. 
But the gospel is not about your blessings. It's about his pain and suffering that he did because he loved you. And he didn't just love you. He loved the person next to you. He loved the person who attacks you. He loves the person who uses you. He he loves the person who offended you. And his son was sent for them as well. And there is a heaven and a hell. And if we truly believe in that, and what we were saved from and what we were saved for, it should change the way that we live to where we do whatever we can to proclaim the gospel, to teach people to follow what Jesus said, not what's easy and what's simple. The gospel will cost you something. It's an exchange. I gave my life, now I want yours. How many? That's different than what we prayed the prayer for. We prayed the prayer because Jesus was going to bless me and get me to heaven. Not because he wanted to kill me. I'm sorry if you were sold a watered-down gospel. I'm sorry that there's been times when I've simplified it to the point of where it's been a watered-down gospel. These are Jesus' words. Can I read a couple more of them to you? Let's go to verse 57. Because I'm going to show you people who came to Jesus and wanted to follow him. And I want you to see. See, we, a lot of times we, we, we think about the rich young ruler. I think that's in, it's in Luke. Luke 10, maybe? Ish. Maybe not. But Jesus looked at him and said, you know, oh, you've done all these things. That's great. But go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And we look at that like. Jesus was so harsh on him, but that was just an isolated issue. It was only because he had greed in his heart, and Jesus knew that, that money was his, his Lord, and so that's why he, he did that. But that's not an isolated issue. Here in this passage, you're going to see multiple people who came to Jesus wanting to follow him. And I want you to notice he never said, believe in me and pray this prayer right after me. It's not there. As they were going along the road, someone came to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel that I heard. I thought Jesus wanted me to come to him so that I could be rich and have a big house. You know, there's some people that are mad at God because they don't have a big house and nicer things. And it's because they were sold a wrong gospel. God didn't promise you a nice house. In fact, Jesus said, you're not going to have anywhere to lay your head. So if you have a house, even if it's not the one that you want or big enough and and all that stuff like that, it's still a whole lot better than what he's telling this guy. He's telling this guy, you can be homeless. You still want to come follow me? Another one came and said, and, and, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me go first bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He just told him to not go to his dad's funeral. It's not like Jesus interrupted a funeral procession. He's like, hold on, wait, wait. Hey, man, I want you to follow me. Like, he's saying this because this is probably a firstborn son who knew that if he buries his father, he's going to have a double portion of the inheritance. And his retirement plan is all going to be set. You know how many people are like, once I retire, man, I'm going, I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to, why not tell people about Jesus now? Why does it have to be either or? I work in the, the, the regular work field or I preach the gospel. Why not preach the gospel where you work? And I'm not talking about standing up on company time and, you know, hellfire and brimstone. If you don't love Jesus, you're going to hell type thing. I'm talking about in your everyday life, the way you treat people, the way you talk to people, the way you interact with people, and the words that you use. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? They're telling you how horrible their husband is and how their marriage is falling apart and be like, hey. 
You know, I had those issues once before, but but I met this man named Jesus. He began to do a work in my life, work in my husband's life. Our marriage is not the same now. Once you come to church, I can introduce you to him. This, this is the lifestyle that God wants for all of us. Last one. Another one came and said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those that are home. And Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and turns back is worthy of the kingdom of God. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Let me, let me go kiss my mom bye. I got to go tell her bye. Doesn't seem like an unreasonable thing. But do you know how many people, and I'm sure Q probably could say the same thing. How many people feel a call of God in their life to be a missionary, to be a pastor, to move away, to do something great for God. And the thing that stops them from doing it is a loving family. You seen it? Because they can't stand for their baby to be a part of it. We dedicate our baby and say, God, we're going we're to raise this kid in the ways of the Lord. And, and, and Father, this baby is yours until God asks for that baby to move to a different state than you. Or God forbid, a different country than you. Or a different neighborhood than you. Come on, let's be honest. Have we given our life for God? And if we haven't, will we hear what Jesus is saying and change? Or will we continue to hold on to this watered-down fake gospel that Jesus died on the cross for you and your blessing and for you to make it to heaven? And forget about all the people who he also died for. That work with us. That play sports with our kids. That live next door to us. And then if they don't come and encounter Jesus, that they're going to spend an eternity in hell apart from him. Are we that comfortable with our life? That we're willing to allow other people to die without him so that we can have our comfort. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.